Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Hunt, Fish, Eat podcast. Tonight, I sit down with my buddy, Ian Burrow. Ian is a pretty cool dude and a hunter just like myself. He also likes to take a lot of pictures in the outdoors. Today, we sat down and talked about hunting in your own state, hunting on public land, and and how to up your photo game. One of the big things that um, Ian and I talked about was a couple years ago, he drew every tag you could in the state of Kansas, and he pursued every species. It's a pretty cool story, and he wasn't 100% successful, but um, he learned a lot along the way, and I hope you do too. So sit down and listen in. Welcome to the Hunt Fishy Podcast. I have my buddy Ian Burrow here with me. Ian, how are you doing? I'm well, how are you? Doing well. Doing really well. So today on this Wednesday afternoon, uh, bow season is open to Kansas and Missouri, uh, so that's pretty cool. Well, Ian, um, I sat down and talked with you today about a couple things, and uh, let's talk about first how we met. So I think we met at a um, I think Edgar Castiello mm-hmm. and introduced us, right? Yeah. Yep, both like to hunt outdoors, and I'm going to get Edgar on here at some point and talk with him. He spends a lot of time in the field, um, as you know. And so, uh, we talked a little bit before the episode started, but so what do you do for a living? You don't just hunt and fish. Yeah, so I work for a company that um, we build the software that powers uh, hunting, fishing, licenses, campground reservations. So, whether you go to Walmart and you buy a fishing license... Uh, we built the software that the clerk is using to do the checkout. Um, we put together the printer and the ink and the paper that your license gets printed on. Uh, at the same time, we also do if the online piece. So if you go to you know stateagency.com and you buy your own fishing license, uh, we built that part of the website where the product catalog is. And we essentially, we take your money and we give it to the state. Um, and what I do specifically is I work in our mobile division. So... We're striving to uh, take a a very old um, and a little bit antiquated product, which a fishing license or a hunting license, and bring it into the 21st century. So now you have uh, mobile apps where you can buy your license, you store it in your phone, uh, you can view it, interact with it um, out in the woods without a cell service connection in states that require carcass tags and harvest reporting we offer that too so you can essentially you can buy your license keep it in your phone go on a hunt uh, shoot a deer report that you've shot the deer get a digital carcass tag all without cell reception and then it also integrates with a, a law enforcement application so the game warden is able to see and confirm that you're legal and you're doing the right thing so i spend my time and effort trying to figure out uh, ultimately how to make it easier for you to just use your phone to be able to go hunting and fishing and do it legally. That is awesome. So um, as all hunters, you know, we, we handle tags and um, I love the apps on my phone just because that's one of those things I got to worry about in the field. One of those things I got to worry about getting wet um, or, or all that. So the states that are going to where you can do it pretty much digitally, I really like that. Not having to drive out to a game check station, uh, being able to send a picture, and that's that's really cool. So that's awesome that that you're involved in that. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So how long have you been hunting? So I shot my first deer. That was my first hunt. I was 21. Okay. Um, I'm 28 now, so okay. we can do the math. But I really didn't get into hunting until about two, three years ago. Okay. Um, so my first deer hunt was a imitation from an extended family member and I was home on leave from the army 
and we went on a deer hunt. I had a blast, but then I had to go back to the army. So uh, mm-hmm. being able to deconflict that schedule and still being a new hunter, not really understanding, you know, how you buy a license and all the ins and outs that you and I are, are well versed in because mm-hmm. we've lived it. Yeah. Um, it, it was several years before I really dove into it. So I tell people that I shot my first deer and I was 21, but really I, I didn't identify quote unquote as a hunter until about three years ago. Yeah. And one thing that's interesting to me, I'm also an adult onset hunter and, um, growing up you'd meet guys or you'd hear guys like, yeah, I hunt a lot. And now that I've hunted, uh, for a couple of years, you figure out that those guys that said they hunted a lot, quote unquote, um, they went, you know, they spent three days in South Dakota once a year, you know, hunting yeah. pheasants. Or they went and sat in a tree stand for two weekends during rifle season. Um, and nothing to bash against that. You know, that's a lot of guys do that. And a lot of guys tag deer doing that or, or kill pheasants. But um, one thing that attracted me to you and one reason I want to int- interview you is because you're kind of like me where you want to hunt or spend time outdoors um, if you can. And um, so that's really cool. You know, I tell people. Uh, they ask me why I hunt and fish so much. It's like, well, I'm making up for all the years I didn't. So that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty good. So, yeah. okay, so you said the way you got into hunting was a, a friend or a family friend kind of invited you on a hunt, or you dive more deeply into that. Yeah, so it, it was a extended cousin, and we really hadn't spent much time together um, when I was younger, and we he just sent me an email one day. And said, hey, next time you get home on leave, if you're interested, we can go on a deer hunt. And, of course, I was. And it was one of those uh, scenarios where I knew he hunted. And, for the record, I've, I've wanted to hunt for years and years and years. It just wasn't something that we did in my immediate family. Um, but, anyway, he had extended that invite, and I had never felt comfortable asking. I always mm-hmm. knew he yep. hunted. He, was a, yep. he's, he is a huge hunter. Um, very knowledgeable. He's hunted all over the country internationally and i you know out of being timid i just had was hoping that one day he'd finally invite me which he did mm-hmm. um and we we'll talk a little bit more about that too when you ask i think you're yeah. going to ask you know what i would recommend new hunters to do yeah for people interested and that's going to be don't be timid and just ask but yeah. <laughs> we can hit on that in a little bit so anyway that's how it started and i said yes absolutely the schedule's worked out um I went down to Oklahoma where he lived and we went on a deer hunt. It was, I just loved every aspect of it, yep. you know, and I was hooked. That That's good. That's good. That's why we're sitting here tonight. So um, let's jump in a little bit here. So you have a pretty cool Instagram account. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. It, no, no reason to, I, we were talking about before the podcast. I like a lot of your pictures you've been doing recently. So um, I'm getting into photography, outdoor photography. Uh, what camera are you running? So I use a uh, Olympus uh, mirrorless camera. Okay. It's truthfully, it's kind of like on the low end of when it when it comes to cameras. Mm-hmm. Not so much the brand, but the particular one I use. Uh, it's an OMD model. If you really want to Google it. Okay. But I selected it based off of I was looking for um, like good travel cameras. So yep. a camera that's good for someone who you know, backpacks through Europe and wants to take a photo of all the castles. And the mentality behind it was I'm taking a lot of stuff with me on a hunting trip and I'm still new to photography and all these types of things. So, um, I'm not comfortable getting anything crazy. I mean, as it's like anything else, you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars. So I was looking for what would 
a hobbyist uh, photo aficionado take when they're backpacking through Europe? And mm-hmm. this was in several articles what was recommended. So it's mirrorless, uh, meaning there's no mirrors inside the camera like you have in a DSLR. Mm-hmm. And the biggest benefit there is it's it's able to be more compact. So I was more concerned with um, weight and durability mm-hmm. than I was with anything else because I knew, you know, it's like if you bought a handcrafted Italian shotgun, but you've never shot before. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's going to be a phenomenal firearm, but you probably won't really value all yeah. of the things that it brings to the table. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to do that with a camera. Plus, I had just the reality of life and a budget. So yep. I did that. And then I bought a couple lenses from a um, local camera shop mm-hmm. uh, that were used. So that's how I was able to kind of keep costs down. Gotcha. And I'm still using that. I feel like um, I'll do that for a couple more years. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into photography with my cell phone. I mean, an iPhone can take some pretty good photos. Yep. And after about a year of consistent photography with that, I felt like I had kind of mastered what an iPhone can do. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I was ready for the next step. And that's when I transitioned into the camera. So that's where I feel like I am now. I'll keep using this camera for a while. And then once I feel like I've really grasped the basics of camera photography, then I'll look at bigger lenses, mm-hmm. fancier bodies, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, I'm in that conundrum kind of now. Um, I'm graduating from the iPhone, you know, yep. is, is the place I'm at. Um, and I started playing around with a couple cameras. I've played around some mirrorless, the Fuji X-T2, played around some DSLRs. And I'm looking at, right now I'm looking at the Canon uh, 90D, you know, with lenses and everything. They're not cheap. No. <laughs> Those cameras no, no, no. are not cheap, man. Um, but I, like I said, when I looked at your Instagram, it is immediately clear to me that you're not just shooting with a cell phone camera. Yeah. And um, I think that's one thing to mention to people is, you know, if you want those higher quality photos, you don't have to pay $10,000 for a camera setup, you know, but if you can take that next step up a little bit um, and just get a, a dedicated camera, you can do a lot with it yeah. and get a lot further down there. So you kind of talked about you'd reach the limits of the cell phone. A lot of guys listen to this, may, that's maybe all they have, maybe all they want to do is use a cell phone camera. What are kind of three tips you would give a guy like that um, to get better outdoor photographer, you know? photos of his you know, gripping grins or, you know, the morning on a duck marsh or anything like that. What would you suggest? Sure. So, uh, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, your request was tips. I'm going yeah. <laughs> to counter with uh, philosophy. That's so, a good, good. So my first big philosophy on photography is that, um, what makes a great photo great or even, or a great video great is the ability to make the most of a split second in time. And what makes that so difficult is that the human eye, and along with the ears, the nose, and the mouth, you know, you step outside and you instantly in a millisecond, you process the color of the bark on a tree, the texture of the bark, the bird's head as it slightly turns and the chirping and mm-hmm. everything that we soak up. And so then we go and we look at a photo and you say, well, that's not a very cool photo or whatever the case may be. I I don't really like that. And that's because your sensory, like biologically, you're so used to being able to take in a whole landscape at once and process it in just a millisecond. Mm -hmm. So we can't do that with a photo. That's just not possible. So what we have to do is we have to focus our efforts and you do that in picking out, okay, 
of this landscape or of this tree, what's the thing that I care most about that I want you to be aware of? Because what we're ultimately doing is you're using your one photo to tell a story. Now, in a video, you have a little bit of flexibility. You can, you know, you can, a movie's three hours long. You mm-hmm. can tell a story. But in a photo, you have one image to tell, to share, to express something. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so you have to find a way with like depth and focus um, and then some, maybe some editing to really pull out like the green in a mallard. Because, mm-hmm. yep. you know, I maybe the first mallard, you're, mallard duck you ever shoot, that's like, the coolest thing to you in the world, especially yeah. the green. Like you've mm-hmm. never seen anything like it before. So you really want someone to feel that. Yeah. So what you're going to do is you're going to try and bring the focus of the image onto the green of the image mm-hmm. of the duck. And so maybe we're going to drop some colors. We're going to blur the background, which we get with our depth. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just bring you into that moment in time of the green, because that green was so incredible to me. I want you to try and feel that too. Yeah. So that's philosophy number one. Um, philosophy number two is that whether you think you're good or not, whether someone else thinks you're good or not, um, whatever it is you're trying to photograph, um, it, it's all subjective and it's art to mm-hmm. some context. So at the end of the day, if you don't like your photo, if you don't want to put your photo on the wall, that's up to you. Um, and no one else can say otherwise or vice versa. If you really love your photo and you want to put it on a wall, you want to get coffee mugs made out of it and, you know, the mouse pads made, then do it. I mean, yeah. it's your photo, yeah. right? Um, and you'll grow it over time. You know, a photo you thought was awesome last year, this year you'll look at it and you'll say, yeah, I really didn't do that great of a job. I don't like this. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Yep. Um, and then philosophy number three is, uh, so I'm 28 my generation doesn't really have scrapbooks, mm-hmm. but we have Instagram. And so there's like a saying like, oh, he did it for the gram. Or this guy or gal, they only take photos so they can put them on Instagram or Facebook and highlight their life and whatever else. And we can nitpick, you know, is social media bad for us? And yada, yada, yada. Yep. That's not the yep. point. The point I'm getting at is um, my Instagram is my personal scrapbook that in – 5, 10, 50 years, I can review and look back on. And I'm going to say, you know what? I remember that day when I shot my first deer. And here's the picture. Mm-hmm. And I, you can see how much I'm smiling. It was awesome. And Or, you know, this, here's a really unique songbird that I captured a photo of. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was cool. And then you have all the visceral memories that come with it. So, um, don't let, you know, don't let that stuff bother you. I mean, yep. that's how I see, like, that's a place for me to keep and go back and look back on really fond memories. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to post a picture of a gravestone Mm -hmm. because that was a rough day in the family. Cause you know, that's, I don't want to look back on negative Mm -hmm. things. I want to look back on the good stuff. And so those are my, those are my three photography philosophies, uh, but not tips. Cause I don't, I I like that. No, that's good. Um, What I like about the philosophy as opposed to a tip is it's a way of thinking. You know, and you can apply it at, at any level, you know, whether you're a professional photographer or you know, yeah. like us kind of amateurs. And, and it's interesting because we're similar in a lot where like my Instagram, the stuff I do, it's for me. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, it's an expression that I'm trying to, to get out is it's art. And, um, it, like my wife told me, she says, even if no one else likes it, if you do it and you enjoy it, then keep doing it, yeah. you know? 
Um, and, and I'm right there with you. My mom is a big scrapbooker. So the joke when I was a kid was if it's not in the scrapbook, it didn't happen. There you go. You know, um, and one, like you talked about a, a friend of mine was helping me get started in photography. And you said, what you're trying to do is tell a story with, with a moment of time, you know, and translate to, that to somebody else. And that's really hard to do with a picture. Yeah. Um, but if you can do it well, you know, that's, that's awesome. And I'm the same way. I, I scroll back through my pictures and my Instagram and I'm reminded of memories. You know, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, having trophies on the wall. Um, you remember the time spent with your buddies and, you know, the story, you know, how, how far away the animal was when you shot it and, and, and how good it tasted when you were done and, and all that. And, um, that's what I love about pictures, man. Yeah. It, it brings you back to that. So, okay, well, let's get started with hunting here because yeah, that's what we're here to talk about some hunting. So what is your favorite thing to hunt? Mm. It's, it's a, I think this year I'm, I'm going to vote waterfowl. Okay. Okay. Um, antelope is a close second. Really? Yeah. Okay. Archery antelope specifically. Okay. Speed goats, shooting speed goats yeah. with a bow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's, I think that's where I stand uh, today. I might change my mind tomorrow, but that's where I stand. Yeah. Right I know the feeling there, man. I'm glad that uh, turkey season is in the spring. Um, because if it had to compete with everything else, it'd be hard for me not to say I love turkey on the most, okay. but, um, I like that turkey and deer are separate and, you know, waterfowl and deer and, um, you know, luckily you only got a couple tags for deer so you can, you know, kill your deer and then start killing birds. So, yeah. um, I'm with you now. Why is, why would you say waterfowl? So I knew this would come up <laughs> and I thought about this on the drive over. So what I like about waterfowl is there's a lot of things I like. Uh, one of it, one of which is I can do it alone or I can do it as a social event. Um, and if I do it, I mean, I don't have any problem going alone. I, I hunt alone all the time. But mm-hmm. if I'm going to go hunting with other people, what I like is there's not a lot of hard conversations to be made. And what I mean by that is if you and I went deer hunting, at some point, we're going to have to have a friendly argument on who's going to sit where, and if we're going to sit together, who gets first shot. Yep. Uh, same with if we go on a mountain hunt, and mm-hmm. you know, if, if, who bumps into the elk first, then what? Yep. Um, and then if you if we decide you go first, what happens when you miss? Exactly. Well, what is yeah, yeah? All the all those tough conversations. Yeah. So, but on a duck hunt, we can sit next to each other. We can have coffee, breakfast. We can shoot at the same ducks, and at the end of the day, we can draw the line in the sand and, you know, you take six, I take six, or whatever the limit is for where we're hunting. Mm -hmm. So, I really like that, and I like that um, there's – if you do your research well and the weather's in your favor and yada, 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 it's a good hunt, you get to have a lot of shot opportunity, Mm -hmm. and I can do it again tomorrow and uh, the next day and the next day, whereas – um, unless I'm buying and able to schedule and get all that figured out, um, out of state, non-resident big game tags. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I shoot my one antler deer in the state of Kansas, which is what you're legally allowed. Mm-hmm. If I shoot my one deer in September, then I have literally nothing else to do for the next year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, that's hard for me. So the, the idea that I can go duck hunting today and tomorrow and the next day and mm-hmm. still bring home ducks to eat. I just love it. So I think those are, uh, you know, might be like an attention, you know, I have my attention span kind of thing, but 
those are probably my biggest reasons why I love it. Yeah, that's it. I, I like I said, I like everything. I like all, I'm a generalist when I hunt. You know, if I'm sitting in a stand hunting deer, I'm real excited about it. Yeah. You know, if I'm sitting in a marsh hunting ducks, I'm pretty happy about that. Um, but there is something to be said about, you know, when you shoot that deer, you pull the trigger once, mm-hmm. hopefully once. Um, and then the work starts, um, you know, and it's a lot easier to clean six ducks than it is one deer, you know, as <laughs> yeah. some, I don't know if you butcher at home yet, but, I um, do. Yeah. Yep. so I'm the same way I do everything myself. And, you know, it's like you drop that deer and you're like, Oh man, now I go field dress it. I go quarter it out. I take it home. I got to butcher it. got to wrap it up. You know, and you got to do that. I like to do it within about 24 to 48 hours, usually unless I can hang it. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, with ducks, it's a little bit quicker, yeah. <laughs> a little bit less work, but. I'm with you there. So what's your favorite method of hunting? We've already talked about archery and rifle and shotgun a little bit, but. Um, well, I guess I'm going to have to ask you to be more specific because it's going to alter. Yeah, it's you know, tough. By species. So if you're shooting big game, would you rather have a bow in your hand or a rifle in your hand? A bow. Okay. Yep. So I, I shot, uh, I harvested my first deer with a bow last year. Mm-hmm. And that moment in time was like a light switch. Yep. Like I completely view rifle hunting completely differently now. Mm, yep. Nothing against those who do it. Like I will still continue to rifle hunt uh, based off of how tags get allocated and seasons and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But if I get a pick, I'm going to go with a bow. There's, I mean, the the level of precision and luck and everything that comes with it to be able to close that distance that much closer, I think makes the success all the more rewarding. So I'm going to say bow. That That's a good choice. So I, I killed my first deer with a bow last year and I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I still rifle hunt and I still have rifles and love shooting them. But um, like on Saturday, I'd, I'd stalked within 25 yards of a doe and I couldn't draw back on her. Just the way that I approached her, she was facing right at me mm-hmm. and she could see me. And so I just, I just stood as still as I could and was hoping that she would kind of turn or I could be able to draw and I wasn't able to do it. But if I'd had a rifle in my hand, she would have been dead 75 yards before oh, that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so to me, it's, I would rather have that experience and not get her, um, and, and be that close and be able to sneak in that close than, um, shoot her from 75 five yards away or 200 yards away. Yeah. You know, it was, um, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, so how many years ago did you get all the tags? Oh, that would have been, let's see, it's 2020. So it was 2018. Okay. So, so you drew all the tags you could draw in Kansas? Yeah. So this is kind of a, it's, it's kind of like a gotcha statement. Yep. Truth be told, I drew one tag and then I forked over cash for everything else. Yep. So yep. Um, the way tags, in, and I don't know how far reaching your podcast is. So <laughs> I'll speak to folks that uh, are in the other 49 states. That works. Yeah. Um, in Kansas, there's really only two tags you can draw. Mm-hmm. Um, one is an elk hunt. As uh, a resident. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank no, you. No, good no catch, worries, good no catch. As a resident. So an elk hunt within the fences, fences of Fort Riley, which is a army installation, mm-hmm. um, a rifle mule deer tag. Okay. Uh, antelope rifle is a preference point thing. So if you buy enough... Over the years, you'll eventually be able to get one. Mm-hmm. But the other two are like a traditional lottery draw. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can still hunt all of those species. Um, 
over-the-counter archery for antelope, um, over-the-counter elk, believe it or not, mm-hmm. but it has to be off Fort Riley. Yep. And then uh, you can harvest a mule deer with a bow, but not a rifle. That's okay. The rifle tag is like the one kind of like golden ticket mm-hmm. uh, in that regard. So I drew a rifle tag for a mule deer. And as I was going into the season, uh, like you said, you're a generalist, generalist. I would view myself the same way. Um, I was, you know, getting my hunting license and I was getting my hip stamp and mm-hmm. all the different things. And as I go through the product catalog, I'm thinking, you know what? I, I wouldn't mind, you know, I bet I'll go pheasant hunting or quail mm-hmm. hunting at least once this year. I bet I'll go, to, you know, so I'm adding these things to my cart and then it dawns on me that I had drawn this mule deer tag and that I could now uh, literally have every tag or, or the privilege Pursue to hunt everything. everything in that the state offers. Hmm. So there was a little bit of a personal investment. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it probably came out to five or 600 bucks okay. for everything, mm-hmm. which for those who have hunted before, um, if it, that's a good deal for a non-resident like cow elk tag. Yeah. Yeah. So in the realm of, you know, hunting, it's not necessarily skyrocketing price, mm-hmm. but in the realm of reality, it's still a bit of an investment. Yeah, it's a couple so, hundred bucks, man. Yeah, so yeah. I don't want to, like, tell people that, you know, oh, well, it's only a couple hundred bucks, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that, and then the other thing we have to take into account was uh, I was in my final year of college. So I had uh, gotten home from a deployment, and I was trying to finish my college education. My wife was living in a different city, so I was a geo-bachelor with senioritis and I just wanted to go hunting. So it was kind of a perfect storm and I'm living off of my GI bill. There so you go. I don't have to, mm-hmm. I was fortunate. I didn't have to work every single day while I was finishing school. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of able to stack the cards in my favor where, you know what? It might actually be possible to hunt everything because I don't have kids to take care yeah. of. I don't have a day job to worry about. Mm-hmm. And let's be real. It was college. So it's not like I really <laughs> cared too much about attending every class. Yeah. So all of those things kind of came together and I set out with the personal goal to hunt every single thing in the state of Kansas in one season. That is really cool. That's a, that's a cool goal. And kind of like you said, um, as a resident, you know, if you get that golden ticket and you'll do your rifle tag, um, it opens up the door to do a lot of stuff. So, so we, we got to know, I don't know if you want to really reveal it yet. Um, were you successful? Oh, no. Okay. No. So, in terms of hunting everything, uh, I legitimately made the effort. I mean, I went into the field with the intent of pursuing XYZ species that day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, everything except for a sandhill crane. Okay. Um, that is an extremely difficult hunt to coordinate in Kansas. Yep. Unless you have a lease. Mm-hmm. Um, or you happen to be standing in the right place at the right time in the migration and one flies in front of you. Yep. So that one I have to admit to. Everything else I gave it the old college try. Uh, in terms of harvest statistics, we're, we're very – we're single <laughs> digits. We're single digits. But, yeah. um, but you know, and this is this is one thing a lot of hunters talk about, and, and I'm the same way, is it's not always about harvesting an animal. You know, that's not always success. Um, it's time spent in the field. It's, it's the experience. Um, you know, having those tags in your pocket and, uh, getting to walk out there and try to kill an elk in Kansas, you know, that's on my bucket list of things to do. I keep buying points 
because I want to kill one on Fort Riley. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be cool. And, you know, kill one in my home state, yeah. I, I think would be awesome. Um, so what of the species you hunted, what was your favorite hunt? That's where I discovered my passion for antelope archery hunting. Okay. Uh, I didn't even know there were so, – so something that was fun about this project was I discovered wildlife that I didn't know, one, existed, and two, existed in Kansas. Yep. Uh, antelope is one of them. I had no idea that we had those in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And so having all these tags and this this personal goal, it turned into a forcing function where it forced me to uh, do research. You know, mm-hmm. I guess apparently there's antelope, so where are the antelope? Yep. And then reach out to people who have done it before or know something about it. So then mm-hmm. it's I'm talking with the state bi- wildlife biologists. I'm talking with people on Instagram who I've never met before, mm-hmm. which is how I met Edgar. Yep. You know, not for antelope, but for birds. Yep. Um, and so it forced me to get out of my comfort zone and learn more. And then ultimately, you know, repeatedly fail because I was doing something I'd never done before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I gained a, a really strong appreciation for all these different species of animals, all these different types of hunting. Um, and then the people who ha- already had that knowledge base and mm-hmm. had success in those avenues. And um, ultimately, that was my takeaway was I, I screwed a lot of stuff up. But a lot of that, too, is I just had never done it before. And it forced me to get out of my comfort zone and just try it. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I mean, it made me a, a better outdoorsman and really helped me realize how strong my passion is for this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, yeah, it's a really cool perspective to have. And um, I, I would encourage people, you know, in their own state, you know, if, if they always go to Colorado to hunt elk, but they live in Alabama, you know, look at what's in your state or what's in a bordering state, you know, Mississippi or, um, you know, there's elk in Tennessee and Kentucky, I think, yep, of elk. that's great. You know, and so you, know, you always think about the Western states as those classic big game states, but, um, you know, you can get chag- tags cheaper close to you, usually in your own, own home state, obviously, but also travel costs and uh, you may have a connection closer by. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hunt Missouri quite a bit and it's the, the tags are expensive, but, you know, it's a lot closer to home. You know, and I'm still getting increased my hunting opportunity because, because like you said, in Kansas, I can only kill one antler buck, yep. you know, a year. So, um, that's nice being able to pop over to Missouri or I'm looking at Nebraska next fall to go mm-hmm. up there and do some public land hunting, um, for some deer. But th- that's, that's really cool. And, um, and it makes you appreciate your, your home. Absolutely. So like if you, anyone who's ever traveled to Kansas or lived in Kansas, <laughs> we ha- kind of have our mind made up of what it looks like. Um, and it definitely made me feel, I don't know, a stronger connection to the place I was raised because mm-hmm. without this project, I never had a reason to leave I-70 or I-35, the yep. east, west, north, south interstates. But now, cause I'm looking for this specific animal that's only going to be in a specific place at a specific time. I'm seeing little towns that I've never heard of before meeting people. I mean, I'm, I met, um, farmers who got the tractor out mid dinner pulled my truck out of the snow. Mm-hmm. Um, I stayed in, you know, these little hotels that have been around since the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw like, uh, geological, um, formations that I, you would have never expected we were in Kansas. Mm-hmm. So that was another fun part of it and, and support to your, your, uh, call to the people to think about hunting more in their own state. Yeah. You know, nothing against 
go in on that Alaskan cruise and caribou hunt and whatever mm-hmm. else. But at the same time, there's probably a lot of really cool stuff close to home that you just never thought to look for. Absolutely. And uh, we'll transition to this more in a little bit, but, um, you know, as someone who may not have hundreds of or thousands of dollars to pay for these big outfitters, um, I, th- I think you can do some cool stuff in your own state and you have more resources here. You know, you know more people generally, or you may have a buddy that's from four hours away and you can call him and say, Hey, does your mom or dad know anyone in this area that might have some land that would let me, you know, hunt on it today or and so I think hunting in your own state definitely has major advantages. And there's some adventures to be found. Yeah. For sure. And it's interesting. So my wife's from Missouri. She's from St. Louis. So she didn't spend much time in Kansas City. We're actually um, we're sitting in her grandmother's house. So we bought this from the family um, after her grandmother passed. And so the furthest west she really went was Kansas City. So I took her out. We were out in um, Glen Elder a couple weekends ago, took her dove hunting for the first time. And we drove down I-70 and we, we popped off a little bit, got up to Manhattan and through that area. And um, she had never seen the western side of Kansas. You know, and everyone talks about it, man, it's flat like a pancake. And it is, but there's some really cool draws. There's some, it's a beautiful landscape, um, you know, with the grass and, uh, you know, the, the kind of culverts, like I said, geological formations and um, a lot of that country further west is real good for antelope. Yeah. So you probably got to crawl around a lot of that um, with your bow then. So when you're hunt, hunting for antelope with your bow, did you use a decoy at all? Or were I you... did. Okay. So, uh, I borrowed one. So again, found someone who had done it before, had yeah. some knowledge on it, and he offered up his decoy. So I borrowed it. And it worked pretty well uh, up until the point that it was time to pull my bow back. So mm. I actually had a couple of really close calls on that first time hunting. Uh, but the problem was, is that when you're your own decoy, yep, it's really difficult. I mean, you have a vague understanding of where that antelope is, but you really don't know because you're trying to be hidden behind a decoy. Mm-hmm. So every time I would peek my head around to try and, you know, confirm where I need to aim and that kind of thing, they'd see me. And they'd run off. And for those that don't know, <laughs> um, an antelope has outstanding vision out to four miles. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's there's no chicken out. You're not beating their side. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so the next year, I upgraded to a decoy that had a cutout in yep. it. And that made a world of difference because now I could actually <laughs> see where I was walking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. That's I, nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's really cool. Um, so like I said, there's, you know, we can kind of transition into this a little bit. Um, one thing I want to do with this podcast is try to encourage people that don't hunt, that want to hunt, you know, get into it. And those people that don't hunt a lot, but want to hunt more, um, how to find those opportunities or give them confidence, you know, to go out there and try it themselves. So let's kind of transition into that. You mentioned, you know, going through this journey of hunting stuff you didn't even know was in Kansas, um, you know, previously to, to choosing this. There was a big knowledge uh a learning curve you had oh, to get yeah. over. Huge learning curve. Yeah. So what are some what are some tips or suggestions you would give some guys that are trying to do that? Or they're gonna, hey, I heard about antelope in Kansas, I want to go hunt it. Where do they start? So as this as this uh, person hunted before, or they just want to hunt antelope? A little bit, yeah, yeah, they've hunted a little bit before. Okay. Uh, you're gonna want to reach out. Well, first of all, go to the state website. So that's a that's a rabbit hole and a nightmare in itself. Yep. And I will willingly say that to any public member that represents us. Mm-hmm. I mean, the websites, government websites are just rough. That's a reality. 
But you got to be committed, just like in hunting, you can't give up. That's right. So you got to dive into the website, and what you're going to find is that there's going to be uh, biological survey data, uh, tables and charts and graphs, and it won't always they won't always be up to date. I mean, they don't do the same survey every single year, uh, but it's going to start to give you an idea. So mm-hmm. based off of the survey data, based off of um, generic species data. So those wildlife biologists will publish, you know, this is what an antelope is. This is what it likes to eat, where it sleeps, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, take those two resources, right? So the survey data, the basic species information, and then turn to your map and then put on a layer of, um, in my case, you know, I, since I don't live out there, it's pretty much going to be walk-in hunting access or, or state or federally managed public lands. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a little bit of a filter and then you start to filter in the survey data and that's going to give you an even smaller filter, right? And then from there, start to look at it from the species data of, well, they're probably not going to be over here because they don't, they're not known to be seen in a marsh or yep. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. So there's the, just the down and dirty school research style the stuff we all hated, yes. uh, or at least I hated. Yes, up, it actually does apply. You, yeah, you know, to it really cool. does. And <laughs> you have to you have to think about it in terms of like I looked at it in terms of uh, like the financial aspect. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I spend a couple hours this week figuring out at least a hundred square mile radius versus the entire state of Kansas, where I should go, I'm going to save myself several tanks of gas. Yep. And stopping to eat and all that kind of stuff. Invaluable time. Yeah. And then there's the time, right? So you can't, realistically, you probably can't take six months off of work to go on an antelope or get away from the family that long or other obligations. So Mm -hmm. I just had to remind myself of that. Um, And then, of course, once you kind of have an idea of where that is, there's usually going to be a big game or whatever the species is or small game, migratory bird, whatever. Uh, biologist that works for the state and truthfully they have that job because they love that kind of thing mm-hmm. so uh, they're going to be happy to talk to you and then from there um, especially if you have the geographic region pinned down then you can start to call maybe the game warden in that area or game wardens mm-hmm. uh, I mean this is all public record info yeah. and you know wildlife offices in the area um, things like that and that's if you don't know anybody mm-hmm. at all. Yep. That's what you can do. And that's going to give you a great head start. Yep. And I want to mention that. So, you know, use your resources. And what we're talking about here is like these state websites. So what they're not going to tell you is go to this grid coordinate and there's a nice 10 point buck stand there. Right. They're not going to tell you that. So you're going to have to do some digging. Like you said, work for it a little bit and sift through some papers and um, some reports and then kind of try to compile all that data and, I want to say the same thing about, you know, game wardens and, you know, wildlife biologists. I want to save them some time here. If you call the wildlife biologists, they are also not going to give you grid coordinates of, of where to go, uh, kill whatever. But um, w- what I've found is if you couple together, if you can find anyone that's from that area, mm-hmm. you know, a family member or a friend, um, and just call them and chat them up a little bit, at the very least, you can get usually some knowledge. Say, so, hey, they're usually in this area or in this area, they don't like this sort of terrain. Second thing, if you can talk to the wildlife biologist in that area or about that species, they're going to give you similar information. And like I said, going online, talking to game wardens, and like you said, all it does is just narrow down um, and makes it, you know, where you, as opposed to the whole state, 
you're just getting a smaller geographic yeah. region or increasing your chances of finding animals that you're looking for. Yeah. In certain and I, I do want to make a caveat that I know that the research side of like planning a hunt, people get really in the weeds on. Mm. Yep. And I encourage, you know, do the basic research. Like you, you should know what the animal looks like that you're looking for. Maybe yep. like the general region of the state, you know, stuff we've already talked about. But don't let it get to a point where it actually handicaps you because you get into a this this deep dark rabbit hole of well I you know do you think he's going to be in this draw or is he going to be on this field or or I, I I'm not so sure because mm-hmm. ultimately at some point you know this research gives you a direction to go yeah but at the end of the day you just have to simply go yeah and you're going to learn way more I mean this gives you a framework and a basic understanding but at the end of the day you're going to learn way more just doing it. And then you're going to find out that these are wild animals and that pretty much everything you learned and studied doesn't even matter because for whatever reason on that day and that moon phase and barometric pressure, the deer ran north instead of south. Yep. Even though every book you read said he'd run south, yep. he ran north. Um, perfect example of this is, you know, generally animals don't like people or machinery or in their run away from that. Uh, a couple weekends ago, I was sitting, actually last weekend, I was sitting in Missouri and sitting in a blind with a bow waiting. And I had seen these deer walk by this camera at 6 p.m. every day. So, you know, at 5.55, I get my bow in my hand. I'm ready. You know, because I'm like, they're going to be coming by. Don't see anything. Don't see anything. I have a neighbor on this property nearby that's, I can hear his tractor running. So I text him and just say, hey, and where he is is kind of where those deer usually bed and then get kicked up to where I'm at. Something, this would be perfect. You know, I hear him over there cutting. Like, it's be good. I text him. I said, hey, have you seen anything run my way? He says, yeah, I got three deer sitting, standing about 10 yards from me just staring at me. And he said, one ran off, but the other two just followed him around. And don't know why. Um, and like you said, they're wild animals and they do weird things for weird reasons. He promised me he's not feeding him out of the back of the tractor. But <laughs> I thought about asking if I could put a seat back there and just, just hang out. Yeah. But um, but no, it's that's a very good point. And, and I want to emphasize, if you want to hunt something, you know, in, in the state of Kansas or in any state, it's possible. Like I always try to go with that mindset. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And you're going to have to put a lot of effort in, a lot of legwork in. You know, the the reason that guides cost a lot of money is because they do a lot of the work. They do some of the work for you. They do a lot of the knowledge for you. You know, they've been scouting and they, they're going to help you along. So if you don't have the resources to do that, which is fine, you're going to have to use other resources yeah. you know, to get that information. So, But it's possible. It's oh, possible. Yeah. I want to emphasize that to people. Um, so what are some other things you would suggest to people that want to get started hunting or get deeper into hunting? Well, you really got to ask. You just have to, you have to overcome timidness or, or being self-conscious and you just have to simply ask. And what continues to surprise me but also reassure me is that the hunting community – but so open to uh, bringing people in. And it, it's realistically, you know, it's like anything else. If you ask the guy that's got the really cool old T-bird mm-hmm. at the gas station, you know, hey, did you fix it up yourself? He's probably going to open the hood and start talking about the catalytic converter before you can stop him. Yeah. Because that's his thing. That's what he's passionate about. Yep. Or she. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with hunting. So if you don't have someone in your, you know, immediate circle – friends, family that hunts, which is probably how you end up in this position where you're not sure where to go, mm-hmm. how to get started. Um, start looking at work, school, 
church, social clubs, whatever the case may be, anything that gets you out of the house, mm-hmm. start to look for someone who does hunt and simply ask them, you know, hey, do you hunt? And they're going to say yes, and they're going to give you all kinds of stories. I, you know, I shot the biggest deer in the world last year, yada, 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 mm-hmm. and ask them to go hunting. Yep. And 99.9% of the time, you know, they're going to say yes, and then your real hurdle is just going to be the scheduling and the yep. conflict. Yeah. So, in in terms of um, barriers with licenses and uh, equipment and knowledge and all this other stuff, truthfully, the I I don't know if I've met another hunter that doesn't have like two guns, <laughs> yeah. two jackets, two pairs of boots, yeah. two pairs of pants, um, and so you can really, if you have the will and the interest, and you can, and you're willing to put yourself out there and ask somebody, mm-hmm. they're going to be able to help you out. You know, yeah. they're going to say. Meet me at the Casey's at 4 a.m. tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. I'll bring a gun and a pair of pants and a jacket for you, and we'll be good to hook. Yeah. Um, and then also on the licensing standpoint, Kansas for sure and lots of other states offer apprentice licenses. Mm-hmm. And, yep. And what that allows you to do is to go hunting with someone uh, and not have your own hunter safety yet. And that can be a barrier, especially when you're trying to get into it, because this may be an ad hoc thing. I bumped into you at the bar and mm-hmm. we started talking and then you say, well, I'm going hunting tomorrow. Why don't you come with me? So I don't have time to, to attend hunter safety between now and 4am. Mm-hmm. But what I can do is I can get an apprentice license, which is, I don't know, 20 bucks maybe. For residents. Yep. Yeah. For, <laughs> for residents. Yeah. Um, and then uh, go hunting with you. Yep. And then, you know, I get to try the shoes on, see if I like them. Mm-hmm. And then next year, now that I've discovered I love hunting because you're going to do such a good job. That's right. Uh, I'll set aside the time for my hunter safety class. That's mm-hmm. one weekend out of my life. And then I I can legally hunt on my own for the rest of my life. Yep. And I think there's a couple states that do that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the apprentice license. And I think it's really cool. I think Kansas allows you two seasons. I may be wrong on that, but I know at least one. And um, just like you said, it, it lowers the barrier to entry which I think is what we need to do for hunting um, is anything we can do to encourage people to go out there safely, you know, and effectively. And, and I would agree to, if you just reach out and, you know, what I tell people is the first person you talk to, it's kind of like if you're asking somebody on a date, the first person you ask may not say yes, but you got to be okay with that. Or if you're in sales, you're going to get a lot of rejection. Yeah. Um, not necessarily, but you know, if you bump into somebody, if you know somebody to start chatting them up about hunting, um, what I would not suggest is go up to them and be like, Hey, can I go hunt on your lease and kill a big buck next year? You know, right. you're probably going to get a no to that. Um, but if you can, you know, we mentioned Edgar. He's hunts birds on uh, Instagram, and he's going to get a lot of messages after this probably. Oh, yeah. um, he takes so many people I know hunting um, for the first time. And yeah. what happens is kind of like you said, how you met him, where you shoot him a message to ask him a question because he does a lot. And he says, okay, hey, if you're in this area, we're going to go over to this place. You know, meet me there at 5 a.m. and we'll go kill some birds. And I've seen him do that a lot with people and get their shoes wet or get their feet wet in the, in hunting. And I think he tries to make it as approachable as possible. And, you know, I can tell you how to do something all day long. It's a lot easier for me to show you, Yeah, you know, and if you can walk really fast, you can keep up with Edgar. So, yeah. um, And that's one of the things with hunting is you can read all about it, but there's a lot that comes with it in terms Mm -hmm. of just being an, in the outdoors, you know, understanding terrain and the map and the weather, Mm -hmm. the species, the you know, firearm or bow, there's a lot. And yep. so it's really beneficial to reach out and work with someone. But conversely, 
as people who do already hunt, so you and me, mm-hmm. it's on us to be approachable and yeah. also look for that. Absolutely. You know, look, you know, I, I say it all the time. I think people think I'm joking because <laughs> uh, it's very rarely taken up. Mm-hmm. But someone will say, somehow hunting comes up at like dinner with my wife and her coworkers. Mm-hmm. I'll say, yes, why don't you come with me? Or, yeah, I love it. It's a, it's awesome. You should try it sometime. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think people don't just don't believe me. But the truth is, it's there and that it's, it's on us in terms of to make sure that we hold on to this heritage, mm-hmm. to be approachable and to be willing to help other people out because I wouldn't have the knowledge I have if it wasn't for people like Edgar mm-hmm. and others that I reached out to and or my cousin who took me hunting for the first time. You yeah. know, if it wasn't for him, chances are I wouldn't even know that I loved hunting. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, but no, I'd agree. And I think the face of hunters is changing a little bit. And I, I wouldn't say positive negatively, but um, I'm seeing a lot more guys in our generation um, that – don't have the typical hunter look, quote unquote. You know, they don't drive a four wheel drive truck. They don't um, chew all the time. You know, and, and nothing against anyone who does that. Like, please don't don't take that the wrong way. I, I love a beard. I got a big beard, so I'm um, gonna like camo. But I, I think it's okay if you don't look that way, or it's it's okay if you aren't you know a full on gun guy. If you think you want to do it, I would encourage you to reach out and try to do it. Um, you know, another thing I would say is in, in addition to calling the wildlife biologists or the game wardens, if you call your local um, you know, Department of Wildlife and Parks office for licensing, because um, if you like we talked about earlier, if you get on the website, it's c- confusing. Yeah. Um, it's which license do I need? Um, you know, what's this preference point thing? Or I'm, I'm hunting this animal. What all do I need? If you call those guys, that's what they do for a living is answer those questions. And so. The last thing you ever want is to be in the field and think you're okay and have a game warden come up and you're not okay, you know, um, cause there can be some big, and it's just out of ignorance. So I'd always encourage people to, if you're not well versed in this call, just, just make a call to the local office and they'll help you out yep. pretty well. So, so we talked a little bit about hunting about getting people started in hunting. Um, what's next for you, man? What's next in your adventures? Oh, shoot. Just waiting for duck season to open. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I like many kind of had my calendar thrown off by COVID oh, man, this yeah. year. You know, I had a couple hunting trips get canceled in the spring because of it and then I didn't feel comfortable uh swiping my credit card for additional trips this fall because yeah. I didn't know where we were going to be. So for the first time I, I really don't have crazy elaborate plans mm-hmm. um but that was just i was trying to be uh, i guess a little bit frugal and conservative with my pl- you know money and planning i didn't yeah. want to plan a big uh elk trip again and then um you know find out that non-residents aren't allowed to show up or whatever the case yeah. may be yeah so i uh i'm gonna just do a bunch of hunting i, I <laughs> but it'll be here <laughs> kind of cut you guard with that question. yeah you did but, um yeah. but no i i'll i I had a work conflict with antelope season, mm-hmm. so that one's already off the table, which is a huge bummer. I was really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, really, I'll just be looking at doing a bunch of duck hunting, uh, some upland hunting, uh, some deer hunting. Yeah. Uh, and this year, I think, now that I've had time to, to ramble and also <laughs> process this question, yeah, my big adventure this year is is taking my wife hunting. Okay. So I took her on a pheasant hunt last year. Mm-hmm. She had a blast, but it was towards the end of the season. 
Um, and this summer she confessed, she said, you know what? I really want to do that again. And I took her teal hunting on teal opener. Okay. Uh, we limited it out. She had That's a good way a to start. Blast. Yeah, it was yeah. nice weather, yeah. lots of birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great. Um, so that's that's probably gonna be the big thing I'm doing this year is getting her in the marsh more mm-hmm. and then getting her in the upland fields more. Sure. Um she's already shopping for shotguns that are nicer than mine. That's <laughs> what it is. Yeah. But that's that's what's next. So I'm excited about that because it's uh one, I'm helping get one more person to buy a license to benefit conservation. Mm-hmm. But two, I'm getting to spend more time with my wife and I'm selfishly doing something I enjoy and want yeah. to do. Um, so getting to do that with her and share that with her. And then also for her to understand and see like, oh, this is this is why you do it. And this yep. is why you enjoy it. So yeah. it's, I'm excited. Yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, and we didn't, we didn't talk about this beforehand. So this is my wife's first season hunting. Oh, cool. So my wife worked for the Missouri Department of Conservation as a naturalist and that's kind of her background. She was a biology and environmental science degree. Now she's in med school. But she took care of – when she was at, in St. Louis, she worked for a Bush Wildlife and took care of all the reptiles and everything there. And so she loves animals. And that's just always the way she's been. She eats meat. She's happy with me hunting. But she always kind of thought about it would be tough for her to look through a scope, you know, and, yeah. and shoot a deer, which I – it's tough for me sometimes. But um, she she kind of hinted around but wanted to hunt. And I – I have a lot of buddies that their wife went hunting one time with them and never again. Yeah. Or yep, um, yep. you hear the the horror stories. And so I I tried, and I'm not perfect at this at all, but I've tried to uh, not push at all and just, you know, be open if she wants to go yep. and encourage her. And, um, you know, and so it's, it's actually turned out really well. And like I said, we went dove hunting a couple weeks ago. And one of the coolest things I ever had was the first couple of doves start flying in, you know, right as daybreak's coming in. And she shoots the first one and misses it. And another one comes in and, she looks at me and she goes, I want to do this again. <laughs> and it's, uh, that warmed my heart quite yeah. a bit. So, oh, sure. yeah, we're, um, she's on October 3rd, we're doing a, a pheasant hunt at Ekman's with a local PF chapter. And, um, that's going to be her first het pheasant hunt. And I think she's cool with stuff flying right now, you know, yeah. um, shooting animals flying. And, you know, we, we ate the doves. We, we cooked out of Glen Elder. It was a pretty cool, um, experience. And she's going to sit in the blind with me a little bit this year, deer hunting. So, uh, we kind of get that experience. And, you know, I was kind of explaining to her, you know, when you're deer hunting, it's it's like they just appear sometimes. You know, you're, yeah. you're just sitting there and then out of nowhere, you see this gray body moving through. And it's, um, I, I don't know, it it's like my heart just starts pumping. Uh, the, this like switch flips and it's like, okay, the game's on. Whether it's... Yeah, it's adrenaline. It, it is, man. A hundred percent, you know. And you're like, man, thing's going to hear my... He's going to hear yeah. my heartbeat. I was talking to a buddy of mine today. He was hunting up in Nebraska early season and they, they went and did a hanging hunt just into this bedding area. They're like, it was the last day. Get real aggressive, you know. And he said that there was a the path that a, a bunch of deer were walking out about 20 yards from the tree. So they get up there and hang ons. And well, so he sees these two uh, forkies get up and they're walking down that path. And he sees another big 10 pointer behind him. It says about 150, 155 inch deer, which is not world record, but that's a big deer. That's a big deer. And um, my buddy was with a bow and he said he's expecting that deer to walk on that you know path where he's a nice window and everything. Well, that deer doesn't do that. Walks straight to the tree he's sitting in. And he said it stood underneath him. And he was just like, I know he's going to hear me. I know he's going to hear me, you know. And um, he, he was able to draw back, but uh, it spooked off and just wasn't able to work out. But, um, no, it's uh, having those experiences, getting, getting to share that with my, with my wife. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Um, I'm extremely excited. So that's that's cool, man, that we're both kind of going on the same journey together. 
um, separately, but together. That's good. Yeah. Um, but well, cool. Well, anything else you want to summarize up or talk about on this wonderful podcast here? No, it's your show. Oh, you, okay. Yeah, you, you call the shots. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. Well, Ian, thanks for sitting down with me and um, and chatting a little bit and spending an hour on your Wednesday night. So, Of course. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have to get out and hunt some antelope next season. So that's on my I list agree. of stuff to do, man. So I got a bow, and we can crawl around and eat some sandbags. There'll be a lot of crawling. Guaranteed. I, I, I understand that. So I'll have to get some first light sawbuck pants, you know. and uh, Nice plug. Yeah, I was going to say, right? I got to throw that in there. Um, but use some Vortex binoculars. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, no, but uh, it'll be a good time, man. I'll look forward to it and uh, talk later. All right. Man, that was a really cool episode with my buddy Ian Burrow. Ian's a pretty cool guy, and I hope you learned some stuff about how to hunt public land in Kansas and maybe some ideas about how to hunt public land in your own state. If you want to find Ian on Instagram, his Instagram is Ian underscore Burrow. Pretty simple. If you enjoyed this episode, it would really help me out if you share it with your friends and family. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. When you do that, it helps this podcast come up in more searches and reach more people. Please go and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it so you never miss an episode. If you want to help support the Hunt, Fish, Eat podcast and have an opportunity to do some awesome stuff with me please go check out our Patreon page and feel free to jump on at the support level you feel comfortable with. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash huntfisheat. Our Facebook is huntfisheatoutdoors and our Instagram is huntfisheat. Thank you and catch you on the next episode.